<clears throat> I'm uh, going to be speaking this morning out of Luke 18, so if you want to turn there. It's just two, it's six verses actually, and this is um, just going to give you some thoughts that I've had recently, and uh, as I've been looking at this and studying through this, um, there's just been some things that have come up that have caused me to think along these lines, and uh, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer, or the tax collector, going up to the temple to pray. And it begins in verse 9, so I'm going to go ahead and read through it. It just goes for six verses, short parable. Um, And this is uh, Jesus speaking about, he introduces it in verse 9, and then he tells what the parable is. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the Lord, this is introduced, uh, this parable is introduced, as the Lord looking out on some people that were there and saying, uh, and the scripture says, he also said this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So it's, it's a parable to give us a picture of two types of people. One who's trusting in themselves that they're righteous and one who's humble and broken coming before God. And if you look here, he, um, they were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. When someone is trusting in themselves that they're righteous, what's happened is they have set up their own standard of righteousness. They have become the standard of righteousness. They're trusting in themselves. The things they're doing are righteous. And that's what they're trusting in. <clears throat> now, when that happens, it almost is inevitable that the person who does that is going to view others with contempt. Not everybody, may not view everybody with contempt. 
But there will be some that are viewed with contempt because they don't measure up to my righteousness. I've set the standard. You don't measure up. And there's, a, there's an attitude towards people who don't measure up. And you'll see that as we read through this, this um, parable here. And attitude may not be expressed. I mean, it may not come out verbally. But you can be sure that if it's in the heart, it's going to come out. It's going to come out maybe in how you treat somebody. It's going to be come out in the way you interact with them. Um, come out in your thought life. But what's in your heart will eventually surface and it will manifest itself in one way or another. And if you're holding that contempt towards somebody or other people, you'll be cold toward them, you'll avoid them, you just, you'll hold them off at a distance. <clears throat> you know, Paul in the letter to the Romans, really cautioned people, cautioned the Romans. In, in chapter 12, verse 3, he says this, For through the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment. So the warning is, don't, have elevated views of yourself. You get elevated views of yourself, your judgment's impaired. That's what he's saying. So that you have, don't, you know, he's, he's saying it this way. So as to have sound judgment. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but think as to have sound judgment. When you're thinking up here about yourself, your judgment is going to be impaired. It's going to be impaired and it's going to be distorted. You're not going to see reality. You're not going to see reality about God and his righteousness. You're not going to see reality about you and your unrighteousness because you have an elevated view of yourself. So it's a real warning. <clears throat> when your judgment is impaired, you don't see things as they really are. And this was the case with this Pharisee. He came in with an elevated view of his own righteousness because he trusted in his own righteousness. <clears throat> Matthew Henry said this is really, it's a parable, it's called a parable, he said, but it's really a description of the different state of mind and language of, the proudly the pro of those that proudly justify themselves and those that humbly condemn themselves, he said, and it's a description of their standing before God. So we need to be aware of that. And it says in verse 10 that they both went up to the temple to pray. They both went up to the temple to pray. <clears throat> same two people going to the same temple, two people praying, one prayer is accepted, one's not. Cain and, Abel, or Cain and Abel, two people going up to offer sacrifices on the same altar, one was accepted, one was not. And Matthew Henry says that's the way it has been all through church history. People come into a meeting, some people pray, and they bear their heart before God. 
God hears their prayer. Others say prayers. God doesn't hear those. It's a religious activity that you're doing. It's just a religious formality, but there's no bearing of the heart before God. God, pray that God would help us in this. The Lord had a lot to say about Pharisees, didn't he? Matthew 23, the whole chapter is filled with warnings to the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites, they said, it says. But in verse 5 of that chapter, the Lord says this, but they, all, they do all their deeds, speaking of the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. That's what they do. So <clears throat> it wouldn't be far off to say that these two men, the Pharisee and the publican, or the tax collector, may have had different motives for going up to the temple. Matthew Henry thinks they did. He says, the Pharisee came to make his appearance at the temple. The publican came to make his request at the temple. And you will see in the context of the prayers themselves that that's true. God sees what's really in our hearts, even though others may not see it. And there are times when we can be self-deceived and we don't even see it ourselves. That happens. We don't see how we really are. And then God can just open the curtain a little bit and show you what you're really like or what's really going on. This bitterness maybe that you have towards somebody else. You go to pray, you go to the prayer meeting, you start praying and God points his finger on something and you see something there. He opens it up to you. We need to pray that we wouldn't be self-deceived Remember Romans says, Romans 12, pride distorts our judgment so we don't see things accurately. And uh, it's scary. It's scary to think about deception, to being self-deceived. Because the mere definition of what it means to be deceived is you don't know it. You think you're right on this issue. You really do think you're right. You've got all your reasons lined up, but you're wrong. You're deceived. It's scary. You think you're doing fine with the Lord. And there's these other things that are going on that are barriers in your relationship with God. But you're going through all the outward motions. It looks really good. But there may be sin there that's causing there not to be this communion with God. And you get lost in the activity. We really need to pray, all of us. None of us are exempt from this. We need to pray that God 
would be merciful to us and help us that we don't deceive ourselves, that we're honest before God, we're honest before one another. We see things as they are. And that comes from walking in humility, not in pride. So I'd like to look at, that's kind of the introduction, I'd like to look at the content of this Pharisee's prayer and the content of the tax collector's prayer. So let's look at the Pharisees. His is a little longer. <clears throat> it says he prayed to himself. That's all it says. It says he prayed to himself. It says the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. I don't know what that means totally, but maybe he was just praying quietly to himself. Maybe he was praying to himself because he trusts in himself. I don't know. Maybe it was because he was praying and God wasn't listening, so this prayer was just for himself to hear it. But it says he prayed to himself. And the content of the prayer, if you look at the content of the prayer, it was all about himself. The whole content of his praying is all about himself. I thank thee, God, that I'm not like others. You see that attitude? I'm up here, they're down here. I'm not like those people. I'm not like others. And then he begins to enumerate the ways he's not like those people. I mean, he doesn't cheat people. He doesn't cheat on his wife. He doesn't cheat others. Then he lists some of the positive religious activities he's involved in. He goes to goes to church regularly. He tithes. He fasts. All good things. And that's what he brings up. But you notice... <clears throat> At the end of his list of things, when he says, I thank God that I'm not like others, and like this tax collector. You see the contempt there? Who trusted in themselves and viewed others with contempt. There's contempt about this particular guy who's there praying in the temple with them. Just looking down at him. And also notice that the content of his prayers, he focuses on all external things. How he does this and how he does that and what, and what he doesn't do, the things he's not doing. It's kind of like a checklist. Check this off. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. I did do this. This goes over here. All of it is still externals. It has nothing to do with the heart. All externals. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, when the Lord was giving the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? The Lord said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart toward her. You've sinned. In the heart, it's a sin. 
God looks at the heart, not just at the outward. You may not have committed adultery on your wife, but you may have in your heart. That's what he's bringing out here. You know, if our hearts are right, our actions will follow. If our hearts are right with God, our actions will follow. If you do the right things, your heart may not be in it. That was the whole indictment that the Lord had against this religious group of the Pharisees. They did all these external things right. The thing they were lacking is the heart issues. Listen to what the Lord says in this chapter on the woe to the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites in Matthew 23. This is just one little woe to you. He has a bunch of them in that chapter. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. What the Lord is saying is the things that you did were right. That's the the tithing. Those types of things are right. But here's the big thing. You miss the heart of the issue. That's the whole point. You miss the heart of the issue. Your own heart, that's the issue. You didn't show mercy. You didn't, weren't faithful to these people or to me. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You didn't do those. You neglected the weightier provisions. That's what he's calling. The Lord is saying that's the weightier, that's the heavy things, the heart. Another thing that we can notice about these, <clears throat> this Pharisee's prayer He's always, he compares himself to other people. It's a comparison. Outwardly, they do this. I don't do that. Always comparing himself. Tell you something, it's dangerous. It is dangerous to always be comparing yourself to others because you tend, the others tend to be situations or people that make you look favorable. You don't compare yourself to others that make you look bad. You compare yourself to others so you'll look favorable. I taught school for a long time. And I had many, many opportunities in teacher workrooms over the years that I taught to hear conversations about, you know, we should be getting paid more. That's a standard that's a standard topic of conversation in teacher workrooms. We should be paid more. Especially it comes up during bond times and election times for a tax levy and stuff. But the, I've noticed over the years, whenever teachers would compare themselves to how little they're getting paid, they always compared themselves to people who were making more. And some of those people who were making more didn't have near the training we had. That's not right. They ne- but I seldom, if ever, heard anybody compare themselves to those that are putting 40 and 50 hours a week in and making less and have to work 12 months a year. I never heard that argument. 
So you, don't, you tend to want to lean in that direction of making your case or yourself look favorable. So it's a danger. When we compare ourselves to others, it will usually lead to, one, dissatisfaction, or two, pride, and neither of which is a good thing. So then the last point on this Pharisee's prayer is it isn't a prayer. This isn't a prayer. It's a so-called prayer. It's a list of his merits and commendations. He's commending himself. Look what I did. It's not a prayer. One of the commentators I read said, this Pharisee has an attitude that God owes him something for all his righteousness, his self-righteousness. In other words, God is a debtor to him. He's not a debtor to God. God's a debtor to him. There's no sense of need in this man's life when he comes to pray. You see a similar attitude that the Lord accentuates in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7 when he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Notice what it is. Lord, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we do these things for you? And his answer is, depart from me, for I never knew you. They were like this Pharisee. They were very satisfied with themselves and where they were. They were very content and satisfied in their religious activities. Dangerous place to be because it leads to deception, self-deception, like I said. John brings this up, this very thing up, when he's in Revelation in chapter 3, when he's talking to the, the, about the seven churches and he gets to Laodicea. And it says, the Lord says, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm. You're satisfied right where you are. Don't need to go on with anything. You're just content, satisfied right there. He says, because you say, this is in 317, it goes on to say, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know. There's the key. You don't know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, they didn't know. Why didn't they know? They're deceived. It's self-deception. They didn't see things as they really are because of pride. Well, let's look at the con. Contrast. It's not a comparison, it's a contrast with the tax collector's prayer. Tax collector's prayer is, says this, real short. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Two things he mentions. I'm a sinner, 
I need mercy. I'm a sinner and I need mercy. No boasting, no boasting on his part here. Only a plea for mercy. You know, mercy is, uh, when we go to God for mercy, ask God for mercy, what we're asking God is to be compassionate on us. Show compassion toward us. Don't, Lord, don't give us what we deserve. Don't give us what we deserve. We want mercy. That's what he was asking for. The Pharisee was saying, give me what I deserve. He's saying, don't give me what I deserve. I I want mercy of God because he sees rightly. And also look at this, what it's recorded, at least in my Bible here. It says, the sinner, the sinner. But the tax collector standing some distance uh, away Uh, Be merciful to me, the sinner. Very similar to another place in scripture that you're probably familiar with, where Paul says something very similar. He says in 1 Timothy, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the little qualifier. Among whom I am the foremost of all. See, Paul views himself as the chief of sinners. He's the sinner. That's what this man was identifying with. It's, it's really a different, different thing altogether when a person says, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, we all sin. We all make mistakes. That's a different category than when God points his finger on something and says, you're the sinner. And you see it. You see your own sin. You don't take a light attitude of, oh, yeah, we're all sinners. Finger of God points at you and your personal sin. And then another thing you see here with this, this man is his humility. And this, is, this comes out in verse 13. Standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just even his posture. He doesn't come in prancing in, standing up, lifting his head up. He's He's really under it. He really has a sense of his unworthiness to be there. And he's got, he's, he's at a distance, he's bowed down, can't even lift his, and he just has a few words to say. <clears throat> it kind of is a similar feeling that you get when you, um, one of the Psalms, Psalm 40, uh, that David is praying, and, and this listen to what David says in his prayer here in Psalm 40. For evils beyond number has surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. You get the picture of what he's saying? I mean, he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. This heavy burden that this man's under, he can't even lift his head up. Well, David's saying here, I can't even see. My iniquities have overtaken me. Why can't he see? 
Well, I imagine his tears filled his eyes. He can't see. He's just, he's broken. He's really broken over his sin. This is more than saying, oh, sorry, my bad. That's not what this is saying. There is real brokenness. That is sorrow and sorrow that leads to repentance, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And then the last thing I would mention about this publican's prayer is that it was short, to the point, and from the heart. It was heartfelt. The Lord is the one who said that it is the Pharisees that are noted for praying long prayers, but this man is too broken to even speak very much. You can probably imagine there was more sobbing than there were words. Some of you may have experienced something like that in the past, where God's come to you in a way that you can't hardly say anything. You're just, you're just sobbing. You're weeping because of something God has said to you. Maybe convicted you of sin. Well, the results of the two prayers. Tax collector went down to his house justified. So God heard his prayer, received his prayer, and he went down to his house justified. The Pharisee, God didn't hear his prayer. He's praying to himself. Didn't receive his prayer, and he doesn't go down to his house justified. Two opposite ends. And then the application that the Lord makes is this. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he he who humbles himself will be exalted. I just want to make one comment on this application. The Lord doesn't say some who exalt themselves will be humbled. He didn't say that. Every one who humbles themselves will be exalted. Some people will actually appear to go through life exalted. They're the exalted ones. Up high, everybody lauding them. They're lauding themselves, praising themselves. You say, when are they going to ever humble themselves or be humbled? They die. They're not. But they will be. That's the whole point. Everyone who humbles himself will be, uh, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And conversely, there's probably many, many people who are walking humbly with God that are unknown people. They're just walking with God, obeying God day by day. No one notices them. God notices them. And there's a day coming when they die in obscurity in this place that God's going to exalt them in the next life. It's, it's a statement of fact is what the Lord is saying here. Everyone. It's amazing, isn't it? I had, um, check my time here. I had an amazing conversation. In the, I go down to the prison in Moberly and visit with this guy down there. And uh, a 
few weeks back, I had a really interesting conversation, and we were talking about um, pride and humility and the danger of walking in pride and the safety of walking in humility. And, um, you know, it is dangerous to walk in pride. It really is dangerous because not only can you be self-deceived, but God's against you. That's what it says in James. God resists, holds off, opposes the proud. And what does it say about the humble? He gives grace to the humble. That's why great, That's why humility is such a, a safety for the Christian because that's where God's grace is. That's where he is. That's his grace. And... Um, so we talked about, well, how do you know? I mean, sometimes people act humble, but there's a difference between acting humble and being humble. People can act humble. They can come to the meetings and say the right things and um, do those types of things. And even in their prayer time, they can act humble. But it's different when you are humble. And... Um, so we talked back and forth about that, and I brought up a, a section of scripture that I thought was really helpful to me to say. And I said, you, he asked me, how do you know? And I said, you can't always know. Sometimes it takes time to be around people and see how they act and how they respond to things, particularly things that are not planned responses, like your wife says, what are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? <laughs> you know, the pride wells up. And, uh, I mean, that happens to all of us. So I'm not the only one in this room that that happens to. Uh, you're on your job and that, that goes on. But the, the point is, is that what do you do with it? That's the key. What do you do with it? Well, if you recognize it, you just say, Lord, forgive me. And you go to your spouse and you say I'm really sorry forgive me I I don't know why that just irritated me and I just got angry it's pride that's why you got someone challenged you on something but anyway I don't want to get off here but I just told them it's hard to tell but Isaiah 66 verse 2 is really a good verse it really sheds light on this I think and let me just give you a little, 66.1 says, The Lord says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where are you going to build a house for me that I may have rest? He says, I made all this stuff. This paraphrase. I made all this stuff. Where are you going to build for me? Well, let me tell you, this is who I look to. This is where I will rest. This is where I will dwell, to him who is humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. That's where God will dwell. And this is such a good thing to think about. If a person is contrite over their sin, they've seen something of their sin, and they're contrite over it. They want 
to obey God. They want to do that. They want to agree with God. They, all those things go hand in hand. <clears throat> a person who's contrite is a person who's broken, like I said. They're, 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 there's a sorrow there. There's a, a repentance of that. They want to, to move in a different direction. And when they do that, they want to obey God. They want to obey his word. If a person's not repentant over their sin, not contrite, they're not walking in humility. They're still walking in pride. If a person can take the word of God and you take it and you look at it and you can rationalize it and justify your disobedience to it, do whatever, and dismiss it and not have it bother you, that's a sign that there's still a lot of pride there. You're not walking in humility. A person who walks in humility will be broken over their sin and they will be desirous to obey God's word. And I tell you, this is really, those two things, contrite and obedience to God's word will be evident in a truly humble person. And that is really encouraging. And the reason that it's really encouraging is that God says that's where he'll be. That's what he says there in Isaiah 66. This is where I dwell, in the heart of a person like that. Not only that, the Christian who is walking there This is where he finds grace to help in his time of need. We all have times of need. Where do you find grace? Humbly walking with God, submitting to God. And this is where you will experience the peace of God because the Prince of Peace is there. He is there. And so you experience that. that. So may the Lord help us to just really be able... And um, in these days to just humble ourselves before God, not to be elevated in our own opinion about ourselves, not to trust in any of our own righteousness, but to trust in Christ's righteousness and to submit to his word and to um, consider others as more important than ourselves. That's what the Lord did, to walk like that. Amen.